Well, this morning we're going to be continuing in our Psalms for Advent series. Pastor Robert has been leading us through Psalms, and we get to pick up with that today in Psalm 121. I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles, and please stand when you... Psalm 121. This is God's Word. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Join me in prayer. Father, as our Savior prayed for us, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Show us Christ and his grace in Psalm 121. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, transform us by that grace more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and have a seat. The psalm we're going to be looking at together today is a psalm about a long journey that you wish would be over. Have you ever been on a long journey that you wish you would be over? Maybe a road trip for the holidays, maybe one's uh, coming up in the near future for you. Uh, the longest road trip that I remember wishing would be over was when Mariana and I moved out to California in 2013 to attend seminary. Uh, she downloaded an app on her phone and wanted to learn Italian. And so there we were driving through miles and miles of flatlands in Kansas, and I couldn't hear the other end of things because she had headphones on, but I heard her saying Italian words, and it was, it was funny. But man, it was a long drive through the flatlands in Kansas. Uh, I was driving a big yellow Penske moving truck. You know, when you're a kid, you see these trucks and you think, man, wouldn't it be fun to drive one of those? But if you've driven one of those, it's not fun. Uh, I was towing my 93 Toyota pickup on a tow dolly behind us. I also didn't know how to work the shifter. It's like an electronic shifter up on the steering wheel, up on the, I guess, where the blinker is. So I was in overdrive going through the Rockies, which made for a very slow climb up the mountains and a very fast descent down the other side. I remember we were going into this one New Mexico town, and I just kept praying, Lord, help us to get there. The truck is bouncing behind us. Sometimes you just want the trip to be over, right? Psalm 121 is a psalm like that, an advent is all about that. Psalm 121 is a psalm of ascent. We find these psalms of ascent in Psalms 120 through 134. These were psalms that the Israelites would sing on their pilgrimage as they journeyed to Jerusalem. They faced all kinds of dangers on this journey as they made their way to the hill of the Lord, finally arriving at the temple where they would worship in the presence of the Lord, at the sanctuary where God's presence was found among his people. Of course, God's people no longer make this pilgrimage yearly to Jerusalem because the presence of God no longer dwells on a mountain in the Middle East. Today, by his spirit, God dwells among his people, his people, the church that is being built up as a spiritual temple for the Lord. And while you may not be on the same journey to Jerusalem as the psalmist in Psalm 121, you are on a journey to Jerusalem, to New Jerusalem, the Bible says here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The day is coming 
when all of our Advent hopes will be realized. And we will worship face to face in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the city not built with hands, no longer by faith as we do now, but by sight forever and ever. But until that day, until this earthly pilgrimage is over, you need psalms like Psalm 121, psalms of help for pilgrims on the way. If we could summarize what Psalm 121 is all about, I think in one word it would be help. This is a song of help. It speaks to us about perspective and promises. In verses 1 and 2, we see a godly perspective for pilgrims. And in verses, well, the rest of the psalm, verses 3 through the end, we see God's promises for pilgrims. So we're going to be looking at this psalm under those two headings, a godly perspective for pilgrims and God's promises for pilgrims. And here's the big idea that I want you to see today from Psalm 121. Because God promises to be your keeper, to be your help, you need to keep a proper perspective and trust in God's promises that find their final fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. We'll describe this as a godly perspective for pilgrims. Look again at 1 and 2. What does it say? I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That is a godly perspective for pilgrims. For a pilgrim going to Jerusalem, it was a dangerous journey. You had danger from thieves, danger from wild animals, danger from the elements, danger on all sides. And as the people of Israel would have journeyed to Jerusalem, seeking that earthly city where God's presence was to be found in his holy temple, they would pass through the hill country surrounding Jerusalem, the mountains surrounding the city. So when we hear the psalmist saying that he lifts his eyes up to the hills, we may not think there's very much to that. Just taking it all in as he makes his pilgrimage to Jerusalem, he's walking through these hills. Uh, the hills are high, and maybe we think that just lifts the psalmist's eyes to heaven to think about the source of his deliverance and his help. Some people think that's all it is, uh, but I think it's more than just that. It's more than that. Uh, Jeff Grogan reflects in his little commentary on the Psalms about how the psalmist uh, thinks about these hills, and he says it could be he's thinking about them positively or negatively. Grogan says, if he's thinking about them positively, they will remind him of God's strength, perhaps as the rock. If negatively, and I think this is right, they will be places of danger from robbers or else be crowned with pagan shrines. Crowned with pagan shrines. What does that mean? We don't think about that when we drive through the hills surrounding Temecula. But in the ancient times, the high places were the places where shrines were built. It's no accident that the temple is built on the hill in Jerusalem. This, but the hills surrounding Jerusalem would have had all of these shrines and people would be worshiping pagan gods in these shrines. The notes in the Reformation Study Bible answer the question like this. From where does my help come? Not from the gods who are worshiped in the hills, but from the Lord who made the hills. So I think that's right on track here. Maybe the greatest danger facing uh, the pilgrim on his journey to Jerusalem isn't just physical danger, but spiritual desertion. Spiritual desertion. Put yourself in a moment uh, in the dusty sandals of a pilgrim on his way to Jerusalem. Maybe it's been a long day. You've been stalked by a lion for the better part of the day. That's always a downer. Maybe you're running low on provisions and your stomach is growling and you're just hungry. Maybe you're tired and you don't know if you can take another step on this long road to Jerusalem. And then you look up to the mountains that you're passing through and you ask yourself, man, I need help. Where does my help come from? And you think... You know, up in these hills, they say they're gods who will offer help to those who worship them. 
Could any of them save me? Jerusalem seems so far off. This seems like maybe it's a better option. I'm not sure if I can make it to Jerusalem. All these other people seem to be having a good time. They seem just fine offering their worship to the gods of these hills. And the God I serve just seems so far away in the middle of what I'm going through. Maybe the gods of these hills will offer me help. But then he snaps out of it and he speaks truth to his heart. He preaches a proper perspective to his soul. And when he says, no, 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 don't go down that road. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's a godly perspective for pilgrims facing dangers on the way. So let's bring this forward now into your life today. You need this godly perspective as a pilgrim on the way. This is the pilgrim's perspective that you need on your journey through life. And while you may not be literally traveling down a dark, dusty, dangerous road in the Middle East, not like the Israelites on their way to Jerusalem, don't we all face dangers and distractions as we look for our king who is coming, as we make our way to that city? Aren't the hills we're traveling through full of alternative gods that offer to save us, that offer to rescue us and bring us comfort right now when the comfort that we're awaiting seems so far away in the distant future? The hills are full of idols, but it's not the hills for us, really. Uh, What is it for us? It's maybe the commercials flashing, flashing across the TV screen, the ads littering your social media feeds. Buy this, get this, acquire this. The false god of materialism is especially strong at Christmas time. A member of a former church where I used to be was a head of, he was the head fleet mechanic at Walmart. And he said that Walmart calls Christmas the event. The event. Let the reader understand, right? It's a big deal. In 2018, Christmas spending in the United States surpassed one billion, well, not billion, one trillion dollars. A trillion dollars. In 2019, that's up by nearly 5%. Current figures are about $1,500 spent per household on gifts on average. Maybe some of you kids are looking around. Are we going to be average this year? Um, Just in case you thought this was entirely altruistic, you know, spirit of the season giving, uh, 51% of Americans say they also buy gifts for themselves. I'm not an expert, but I don't think it exactly works like that. I'm not against Christmas gifts, of course not. But what I'm saying is that this impulse behind our ever-increasing desire to get more and more and more, that can be the hills we think our helps come from. If we can just get all the shiny toys we want, maybe that'll rescue us from boredom. Maybe that'll rescue us from being judged by the neighbors. Maybe even from the heartache and the the hardship of wishing we could just have a little more comfort and ease on this pilgrimage. We look up to the hills of help that surround us in our day and wonder if all this could make us happy. Maybe this could help us and protect us. Pan out, though, from just that. Don't just focus on materialism. Uh, it's easy to you know, kind of nod and laugh and say, yeah, that's, that's bad. Materialism is, of course, bad. We all agree about that. But the hills of help we look to don't just end there, do they? Maybe the hills of help you're looking to are things you wouldn't want published on a holiday commercial. They're things that you'd want to erase that nobody could see, overindulgence of God's good gifts, attitudes, actions that aren't at all in keeping with the gospel, covetousness, greeds, lusts, outright rebellious habits that you, you just, you hope God won't notice, or at least you hope no one else will because you know God knows. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all working in concert to make the darkest hill of gloom look like the hill of help that you need, but it's a lie. 
Let this psalm recalibrate your perspective. Let it reorient you to the godly perspective of a pilgrim, which is this. I will lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. All of the power and the pleasures and the products that this world offers pale in comparison to the presence of God, to the presence of God towards which we are walking today, towards which we are making our journey. Advent is, a, is just this longing for that journey to be over, for that presence to hurry up and arrive before we're distracted and deterred by all the things that surround us. So how do we fight the call from the hills? How do we fight these false hills of help that we're confronted with that can really only harm us rather than help us? I remember this scene that I heard about from the Odyssey, uh, the Greek, Greek epic by Homer. I say I heard about it because I've never read the whole thing. I guess I'll wait for the Netflix series to come out. Uh, but there's this scene in the Odyssey where Ulysses and his ship's crew, they're tempted by the siren call. Uh, mermaids, and they're not Disney mermaids, they're dangerous, and they're deceptively beautiful creatures. They sing their intoxicating song that no sailor can resist. And many a sailor has met his demise by believing the deceptive call of these dangerous creatures in the book. They're smitten by these creatures who, in the end, destroy them. So Ulysses is warned of the danger. He knows this is coming as they sail through the passage. So he orders his crew to bind him to the mast. Tie me up so that I can resist. Then the rest of the crew, they plug their ears with wax so they can't hear the mermaid's call. They sail through the passage to safety. But here's the thing. Too often... We try and avoid the call of the world much in the same way as Ulysses and his crew did in this scene. We try to lash ourselves to the mast with the law. We think remembering restrictions will rescue us. We just have to remember that really, really hard. Remember the law and refuse to give in. But that won't work for us. It won't work. The law charts our course, but there's no power in the law to hold us back. We plug our ears by trying to be so far removed from the song of the world that we can't hear it. But the problem is, even if you were in the furthest away monastery, separated from everyone, that song is still there because we carry it within us. Our own sinful flesh pulls us away from trusting in the Lord. So what do we do? We need a better song. We need a song that will outdo the siren call of the world. A song like Psalm 121 that sings the sweet notes of the gospel to us. Another guy in the Odyssey named Jason and his crew were saved by listening to a better song. He didn't lash himself to the mast and no one plugged their ears on Jason's ship. No, he had the most wonderfully talented, masterful musician around, Orpheus, sit at the front of the ship and sing a song that was more beautiful than the siren call of the mermaids. They were enchanted, the whole crew was enchanted by his tune. They couldn't resist listening to that beautiful tune, and they sailed through the passage to safety. That's the only way you and I are going to make it through. You need a better song. You need a song that outsings the world and the flesh and the devil. If you will just remember that and fill your heart with that day after day after day. And Psalm 121 is a beautiful summary of that song. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Please hear that song. Forget the song that you hear around you. Forget the call of the world. Look to the one who made the hills and the world and everything in it and put your full trust in him. He is your help. Nothing else is your help. He, the Lord, is your help. 
He will help you on your journey to this glorious, promised, forever presence. That's the godly perspective we have to keep. And the rest of the psalm just gives us rapid fire, these promises for pilgrims, God's promises. Let's look at these quick, concise, and really beautiful promises together. Picking up in verse 3 through the end. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The central promise here is found in verse 5. You have eight stanzas before it, eight stanzas after it. It's the heart of Psalm 121. It's the heart of God's promises for pilgrims. And it says this, the Lord is your keeper, the one who keeps you. This word of help and protection. So let's look at the various promises that flow out of this central truth of the Lord keeping you and protecting you. First, the Lord your keeper is attentive to your needs. Verses three and four, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This could be, and I I think it is, I think this is a jab at the false gods of the hills. The false gods of the hills that offer us this help that turns out to not really be help at all. I think it strengthens the conclusion that this psalmist is looking to the hills and looking to these false gods, where elsewhere in the psalms we see them ridiculed as those who have eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear. It reminds me of the time when Elijah, right, mocked the false gods of of Baal and, and his prophets, telling them that as they danced before the altar, what did Elijah say? As they danced before the altar in the hills, trying to get Baal to listen to them, Elijah says, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself. Maybe he's in the john. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Just brutal mockery of these gods, false gods, hills of help that can't help. But he who keeps Israel, he who sustains Israel, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. He never nods off. That's hard for us to imagine. Even if you're the mother of a newborn, or you're an insomniac, or you're a student, you know that the lack of sleep that you face, it's a problem. It's not good, it's a problem. But with God, it's not a problem to never sleep, not at all. We need sleep. And as you know, it's one of the most vulnerable moments we experience in life. We close our eyes for four or six or, Lord willing, eight hours, and we wake up and we're like, what happened? Where am I? You have no idea what's happening around you when you sleep. But God doesn't ever have that problem because his eyes are never shut. Isn't it amazing? It's encouraging. He never sleeps. There is never a single moment when he is unaware or unattentive of what you need, of what's happening in the world, of what's taking place in your life. So be encouraged by that promise. The one who keeps you never punches the clock, never gets shut eye, never takes a nap or nods off. That's powerfully encouraging for physically sleepy and spiritually drained people like us. I lay down and slept, Psalm 3, 5 says, and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. So the Lord your keeper is always attentive to your needs. Second, the Lord your keeper is always with you. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. What's that about? Well, Sophie and I play this game when we walk around the block Uh, She likes to jump on my shadow and say she got me. 
And then she takes off running, try to get, trying to get away from her shadow, but funny thing is, she can never get away from it, right? It just keeps chasing her down the block. It's funny how that works. Unless you're Peter Pan, you can't detach yourself from your shadow. It's always there with you. The Lord is always with you, as inseparable as your shadow. Now add into that idea of inseparable presence, God always being with you, the idea of shade as protection. We find this elsewhere in the Psalms. If you're bald like me, you know all about shade being protection. If you're traveling through the desert, shade is protection. This is an ever-present, protecting, overshadowing of the Lord that you can't shake, that you can never outrun or get away from, not even when you want to. Why would you ever want to? You also have this idea of champions and defenders. Uh, They're often depicted as being at the right hand right there with you. That's what this communicates. It's an unshakable shielding defender over you, the Lord who is always with you. And this shade theme continues with a comment about the sun and the moon. It seems a little weird to me, I don't know about you, that the moon would be a source of fear. I really don't get it. Uh, I'm not the only one. Nobody really knows what's happening here. All the commentators give lots of opinions. Uh, We live in SoCal, we go to the beach and we get sunburned, but we don't get moonburns. Uh, People wonder about the idea of lunacy from moon, luna. Uh, Maybe moonstruck is the English equivalent. Or maybe there's this association with the bitter cold in the desert nights where the pilgrim would have to bundle up as he's exposed to the elements. Maybe this language plays into ancient covenants and expresses this fullness of protection night and day. We don't really know, but what we do know is that the Lord is always inseparably with us as our defender and our protector keeping us so that we can trust in him, trusting that he will keep us. He's the creator who's covenanted with us, his people, to love us and protect us to the end. So there's one more promise. It's God's final promise for pilgrims, and and it's all-encompassing, this final one. The Lord, your your keeper, is able to protect you from everything, from everything. Verses 7 and 8, comprehensive protection. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You're going out and you're coming in. In other words, in every moment, everywhere, in everything, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is able to protect you and he will. The Lord is your keeper. In fact, this goes beyond just the ability to keep you. It's a promise. He will do it. It's a promise of comprehensive, comprehensive protection. It's more than just the power to protect. It's, it's a promise. But we have to ask ourselves, does this really check out? Does it seem to jive with what happens in your daily life? Doesn't it seem like evil sometimes does reach us? To wrestle with promises like that. If God can keep us from all evil, then why do Christians die from COVID and cancer? Why do we face ridicule for our faith at work? Why do fights break out of the dining room table? Why do families split up? Why do we face tragedy? Maybe you're going through the ringer right now in your life. It's hard to believe that this is actually true, that the Lord will always keep you. It doesn't seem like it's true, so what do we do with this? What do we make of that? I think Martin Luther nailed it uh, in how he describes Psalm 121. This is how he describes what Psalm 121 is all about. He said, Psalm 121 is a psalm of comfort in which the psalmist comforts by setting an example that one should remain steadfast in faith and should expect God's help and protection. For though it does seem as if he were sleeping or snoring, so that both the sun by day and the moon by night smite us and harm us, still it is not as we feel and imagine it to be. 
For he watches over us and keeps us safe and does not suffer the sun to kill us so that we are doomed to die. We'll certainly experience this in the long run if we only know how to wait for it patiently. The promise isn't to be freed from all danger and all trouble in this life, but it's to be protected and kept so that you know that you will make it to the end of your journey. The Apostle Paul, reflecting in Romans 8 on the safety and security and help that we have in Jesus, he says this, Romans 8, 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then he lists a lot of things that we experience in life that aren't at all at odds with this inseparable love. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We hear that and we think Paul gets it. Paul lives the life I live. He experiences these things. Yet he says that these things don't separate us from God. They don't derail the promise of God's protection. Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's love. That's true love. It's loving help from on high in the middle of the darkest moment that you're going through. But let's not just turn to Paul. We can go to Jesus and his promise in John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have to remember that, uh, you know, this help from the Lord that the psalmist is writing about, it's help that comes from Jesus, the one who has overcome on our behalf. Whenever we read of God in the Psalms, we read of Jesus, God the Son who came, God the Son who is coming again. That's Advent. We have to remember and never forget this. Because of the first Advent of our Lord, the Lord our Keeper who came and lived the life that we could never live and died in our place. That's how he came to keep us because he experienced in human flesh the setting of our earthly pilgrimage, the setting of your life, what you're going through. He experienced this. Because he experienced that and completely faithful, went to the cross, died and rose again to save you, nothing can separate you from that love. He knows what you're going through and nothing can keep you away from him when he returns. Not even moonbeams, whatever we make that to be, nothing. It's absolute comprehensive protection. In Romans 8, Paul may as well just be riffing on the conclusion to Psalm 121. This truth of God's promise to pilgrims, a truth that is fully realized in Jesus Christ. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Well, all of these various promises, um, they pour out of the heart of Psalm 121 that the Lord is your keeper. They all fill in the notes of that more beautiful melody that we need, that song that we need to resist the temptation that surrounds us. We have to believe it and delight in that song, in the song of the gospel. It's a godly perspective for pilgrims looking past the false hills of help to the creator who promises in Christ to be all this for you, to bring you to that day of reuniting with his presence, free from all danger, finally and forever free. 
Maybe when we get to glory and we reflect on all these moments when it seemed like God was sleeping and snoring, in retrospect, we'll say we were the ones who were nodding off and not recognizing God's hand protecting us and guiding us and keeping us. Until that day, we have to remember God promises this comprehensive protection for those who trust in him and follow him. That's what Jesus said, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for that promise of Christ, the final words spoken to his people. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. We ask that you would keep our hearts on you, that we would not look to the false hills of help, but that we would look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is coming again. We are walking towards that city by faith. Father, keep us on the way. Protect us from spiritual desertion. And let our lives be a light to those around us that our God, the God who is our help, saves. And will save all who turn to him. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.